We're going to be in 1 Samuel this morning. Um, we're doing a, a unique series, uh, a four-part series. We're going to be looking at four prayers in the Bible. We're going to be looking at a mother's prayer. Uh, we're going to be looking at a, uh, a king's prayer. This is Solomon's dedication to the temple. We're going to be looking at a prophet's prayer, Jonah, when he's in the belly of the fish. And then a savior's prayer, uh, Jesus right before his uh, death and then resurrection. But tonight, this morning, we're going to be focusing on a mother's prayer. If you need a Bible, um, it would be helpful if you could raise your hand, and one of the ushers will bring one to you. If you raise up your hand, we'll be looking at First Samuel this morning. First Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we'll be in. We've got one Bible over here in need on the right-hand side, if we can get one there. I find it listening to the prayers of others um, to be really encouraging. Um, to hear another brother or sister um, pray, to talk with the Lord, it, it, it encourages my faith. I, I, you can hear them uh, rely upon God, uh, depend upon God, give praise, um, ex- express you know, trouble and uh, questions. And you can, just, you can learn something about themselves, or them and yourself. And it, it's, it's unique in hearing someone talk with God. And in this series, we're going to, get look to, going to get to look at four different prayers and hear um, someone pray. I hope it will encourage us. And as it relates to this morning, uh, there's uh, two types of people that I really enjoy um, hearing pray. It is one who has just received salvation. Someone who has been saved from something. And someone who has walked a mile in trial and tribulation, gone through and, and matured. Those type of people, they're particularly um, helpful to listen to. They encourage me. The person who's recently been saved, they're just thankful. They're, they just want to pour out thanks to God. They're not so concerned about how they sound or what they're saying, but they're just rejoicing in the Lord. It's good to hear that. And then the, 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 the person who's walked through trials and matured through them, oh, they, they, you can just hear the depth. There's a trust. They've sort of given up trying to do things in their own strength, and they're resting. It's good to heal an older saint or someone who's walked that way. For example, I enjoy hearing Mark Bethune pray. It is a blessing to me. And this morning, we're going to get to hear from a woman, Hannah. This is the mother. And she prays because she rejoices in salvation. And she has a hope for a a king that is to come. She's gone through troubles and trials, and now she has prayers that exalt in the Lord. It's, it's going to be good for us. So the big idea this morning, you'll see it up on the screen, the saved rejoice in the Lord through royal prayers. The saved rejoice in the Lord will be the first half, and the second part will be through royal prayers. And we'll be looking at our, our text, kind of going through it twice, and we'll be looking at it from two different perspectives. First, the, the troubles that Hannah faces personally, and then widening out the troubles that Israel faces. The plight of Hannah and the plight of Israel. So we're going to go through our, our prayer twice and see it from those two perspectives. So let me read Hannah's prayer. Let us listen to her prayer, 1 Samuel chapter 2, 1 through 10. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. 
There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry, those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. This is the the Lord's word to us today. The saved rejoice in the Lord. And to understand Hannah's prayer, we need to look at the, the context. We need to understand her circumstances. Hannah lived at the tail end of the period of the judges. Now, the period of the judges happened after Israel had entered the promised land. They had taken it to some extent, but then, as we see in the book of Judges, they began to um, fall away from the Lord. And eventually, it wasn't just falling, they were running away from the Lord. It was a tumultuous time. Hannah, at the time, was married to a man. His name was Elkanah. The problem is that Elkanah had two wives. Um, his, the other wife's name was Penina. He was a polygamist. And so Hannah, she was unable, unable to have children, but um, Penina could. And so 1 Samuel 1, 2 says, just rather, rather matter of fact, that you can look at it, chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. This inability for Hannah to have children was heart-wrenching for her. It was, it, 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 she longed to have a child. And I know some of you have faced um, infertility and the, the troubles with it. It's hard. And, but, but on top of just the, the personal longing and sorrow, in, in Israel at the time, to not have a child was to remember back to the fall. And think of the, the barrenness that comes through sin. Uh, barrenness in Israel was a stark reminder of the curse of sins. God's people were be to, to be fruitful and multiply, and so with barrenness came this like a sense of shame at times in her identity. Hannah lived with this reminder of the curse of sin often in her, in her day. And, and, and she was even more troubled because Penina, her rival, um, the other wife, she used Hannah's vulnerability, her vulnerability, to provoke her, to irritate her. And while lifting herself up, you know, just like, hey, I can have a child, you can't. I don't know if that's what she did, but it was provoking. And Elkanah, he loved Hannah, his wife, and so he, he tried to comfort her, but his comfort was to a no avail. And he kind of did a, a husband move that's probably not the best. You can read about it there, but it says at one point he declares, am I not better than ten sons? I wouldn't pull that, guys, if you're trying to comfort your wife. No, he wasn't better than ten sons. Her pain was difficult. She was in sorrow. She was, she was desperate. And so when each year they would tr- take a trip to Shiloh, that was the place where the tabernacle was at that time, she would go in and she would pray in 
the, 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 the tabernacle area, and she would pray with, with weeping and sorrow. And if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11, this is her prayer. She says, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give, to him, to the Lord. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. She goes and she's vulnerable before the Lord. She cries out before the Lord. And this is not just like a little sobbing. She's like ugly crying. And she's asking for the Lord. And she makes a vow. And she says, I'll give him back to you if, you, if I have a, have a boy. Now, Eli the high priest, this is kind of the, the humorous part of the story. He's watching this. And she, he, he sees her ugly crying. And he thinks, this lady's a drunk. And she's causing trouble in the temple. And so he wants to shoo her off. But she defends herself and says, no, I'm a woman of great sorrow and I'm pouring out my heart before the Lord. And Eli, the high priest, in hearing this, he speaks on behalf of the Lord and he says, let the Lord grant your request. And this is really a, a turning point in Hannah's life. She trusts in the Lord at the word of Eli, the word of the Lord from Eli, and she's given a baby. She gives birth to a baby. His name is Samuel. And she dedicates him to the Lord. And she leaves him there in the tabernacle from the earliest of ages. Now, chapter 2. This is where we pick up our story. It is plain to see that Hannah's prayer, it's a prayer of salvation. Look at the end of verse 1, chapter 2. Because I rejoice in your salvation. Hannah's salvation isn't in the eternal sense that we often think about in church. But it's in the sense of that she was saved from her plight. She was barren. She was low and God lifts her up. She has experienced God's grace, his favor upon her. She was empty and now she's full. She rejoices in the Lord's salvation. All who've experienced the Lord's salvation really can pray Hannah's prayer. Like, like Hannah, God has saved many of us from all kinds of different circumstances. But even more, God has given his son Jesus to save us from our sins, which pictures barrenness. Our hope as a church is that Hannah's prayer is one that you can pray and that you apply it to your life. So let's look at three features of Hannah's prayer and then seek to apply them to our, to our own prayers. The first feature I want to point out, there's probably more, but the three I want to point out. The first feature is the saved rejoice in personal salvation. It's personal. It's personal. Notice in verse 1, you look at verse 1, my heart. We're going to see a lot of personal problems. My heart, my horn, my mouth, because I rejoice in your salvation. She has experienced being saved herself. God saw her suffering personally and met her. She was undone in sorrow, it was troubling, and the Lord lifted her up. Now think with me. If, you, um, if, if you're going to rejoice in salvation, you have to know that you need to be saved. If I'm on a, we, we went to Hawaii recently, and it was warm, and the water was nice. But if I'm drifting down a nice warm river, and I'm a teenager, <laughs> and I have headphones in or earbuds, and I don't hear the waterfall coming. I don't, hear, I don't feel the tug of the, the water pulling on my, um, my boat. I don't know I'm going to be in trouble. I don't know I'm in trouble. I made a joke about teenagers, but when I was younger, we had the ghetto blaster, no earbuds. 
And then we got the Walkman. He had a big cord. Earbuds are better. Anyways, you don't know that waterfall's coming until it's upon you. You have to know that you need salvation. Part of a church's responsibility is to proclaim our need for salvation. No two people are exactly the same. We all have unique needs and circumstances and problems. But one thing is true for all of us. We all are cursed by sin. And we're cursed because God knows every deed that we've done. Every lie, every judgmental thought, um, every lust, every bad word, um, every selfish deception, decision we've made. God knows them over and over. And so when we say as Christians, you must be saved, that means we are all heading towards destruction. And if we don't know the destruction is coming, there's a terrible fall to be had, unless one can be saved. And that's why Jesus died for the sins of the world. His saving work is when applied to your life personally, brings salvation. Jesus died for the sins of the world in general, in general, but it must be applied personally by faith to each one, by calling on the name of the Lord. My question to you is, can you say that Jesus died for my sins, for my plight? Hannah's prayer exemplifies how our prayers are, uh, are to rejoice personally and that they've been, it's been applied to us. But upon receiving Jesus' saving work, you don't just rejoice in yourself. You rejoice in the Lord's salvation for all. Hannah rejoices personally, but as you read her prayer, and we'll read it even more, it, she speaks broadly of the salvation that is bring to not just her, but to all those who are low and need to be lifted up. So the first feature of Hannah's prayer, which is important for us to understand and to pray, is that she rejoices personally in salvation. But the second feature is even more important. The saved rejoice in the Lord himself. The saved rejoice in the Lord himself. Hannah, we know, is a faithful Israelite. Actually, as we see in her prayer, she knew the Lord already. Uh, we saw when we read it before. She says she she kept actually before the Lord answered her prayer. She called herself your servant over and over. She knew the Lord, but His work of salvation in her life made Him all the more glorious in her sight. Her her prayer uh, it was just a, an overflow of her heart that she had to get out. She she couldn't help but to lift up the Lord. You know, certain certain times where you just so thankful that you just have to you have to give thanks, and that's what she's doing. So I want, you, I want to go through this prayer. I want to highlight for you the character of God that she explains, that she wants to get out. I want to highlight in her prayer the way that she extols the Lord in particular. Look at verse 2. I'm going to summarize it for you. She proclaims that, the God, that God is incomparable, <laughs> that he's, he's holy. There's none like him, perfect, and that he's a rock. He's trustworthy, he's reliable, he's unshakable. And then in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, she says that God is full of knowledge and he weighs each action. He knows the truth. He isn't deceived by falsehood. He knows our deepest needs and he makes right judgments. And then in verses 4 and 5, he has compassion on the humble and the lowly. He, He exalts the poor and the weak. He feeds the hungry 
and he reverses the fortune of the barren. But those who are proud and haughty he, and greedy and abusive, he brings low. And then verses 6 through 8, it, it says that the Lord is a God of action. He, he doesn't just know these things happen, but then he acts upon them. He doesn't simply, um, he, he acts in power. He acts on behalf of the deity. He lifts up and he puts down. There's nothing out of his control. We see those in verses 6 through 8. And then in 9 through 10, in, in a world where justice seems far or distant, God protects and he judges. His own will be secure. The wicked will be cut off. This is the, the Lord that she is exalting. The saved rejoice, but specifically, the saved rejoice in the Lord's Salvation. Again, the end of verse 1, look at it. I rejoice in your salvation. That's the Lord, the Lord's salvation. If you scan your eyes again through this prayer, can you see the, the capital L-O-R-D? Scan your eyes through. How many times do you see capital L-O-R-D? This is the Lord's covenantal name. And she's making it known. This is the Lord who's done this. She rejoices in, in him. Hannah has given a gift, but she's not really rejoicing the gift. She's rejoicing in the giver of the gift. She exalts the Lord. This is the one who is unlike, uh, unlike all others. He's perfect. None can save but he. Hannah's prayer, it, it gives us an important thing, thing to understand, understand to, to apply. Prayers that are powerful are God-centered. They reflect and they worship the Lord. They seek to use words, when you pray, seeking to use words to describe the goodness of God, how incomparable he is and what his nature is. So, so my question here to you is this. When you pray, or my challenge, maybe my prayer, my challenge for you, question is, can you articulate God's character, who he is? Can you articulate those things in prayer? Tell him back to him how good he is, how he's holy, what you've learned of him. Use prayer to articulate with your words how good God is. Make your prayer the Lord-focused, God-focused. So, we see here, first, the prayer by Hannah is she rejoices personally. And secondly, she rejoices specifically, specifically in the Lord, and she declares his character. The third feature I want us to see is that she rejoiced confidently in the face of enemies. So even though she's faced with enemies, she can rejoice confidently. The Bible asks us a question. If the Lord is on your side, who can be against? Hannah was um, the rival of Penina. Or Penina was the rival of Hannah. And in verse 3, Hannah says, you know, she says, Be silent. So she's telling her rival to be quiet. Now, she isn't just speaking to Penina. Actually, the word in verse 3, um, when she says your, your mouth, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a plural verb. So she's speaking about Penina, but she's speaking more generally. And we know that as we read the rest of her prayer, um, Hannah is speaking to all the enemies of the Lord. And we see this, looking again at verses 4 through 8. It speaks over and over of a reversal of fortunes. So the bows of the mighty are broken, the feeble are lifted up. Uh, those who are full um, have uh, no bread. Uh, those who are hungry um, have ceased to hunger. Uh, those who are barren have many. Those who 
um, had children are forlorn. There's a reversal of fortune that God works upon those that are the enemies of his people. And then verse 9, it tells us the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. And verse 10, it says, the adverse is the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Hannah, because of the word of the Lord in her life and salvation, she rejoices confidently in the Lord. Followers of Jesus, those who follow Jesus, I know many of you are those, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemies are spiritual. They may look at times to have flesh and blood on them, and they may speak in English words at times, but its enemies aren't really the people. We're wrestling with spiritual forces. So my question in this, in this point is, when you hear the enemy's voice, it could be a condemnation of yourself, like you're never going to measure up, you always mess up, or it could be when you're at school and you're in class and you speak up on behalf of a biblical truth and everyone either is quiet or they make fun of you. How do you answer? What do you do? Well, the end of verse 9, look at the end of verse 9, it tells us, for not by might shall a man prevail. The people of the Lord prevail by resting in the Lord's salvation. By finding confidence not in self, but in our personal, compassionate, all-knowing, acting Lord. Christians can pray confidently in the face of the enemy because of the gospel. So when you pray, when you pray, think of the cross. Ponder the place where Jesus died and then rose again to declare that he defeated sin and rose to prove it. Look with your prayers heavenward at the victory that God has given. And you can be confident because he has done it and it's not of yourself. As Hannah, as Hannah did, Christians can confidently rejoice in the face of our enemies because of the word of the gospel overcomes the word of the enemy. Um, it's difficult when an enemy it speaks against you. It, 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 it's hard. And we can feel uncomfortable about it. But if we can cast our eyes in a way that says, no, your word is greater than the words of the enemy, who actually isn't that person themselves, but greater powers, then you can have confidence. Confidence in the Lord. Confidence to not be pushed down, to be lifted up. So Hannah's prayer that we're seeing here she rejoices in the salvation of the Lord. Her, her prayer is personal, and it's God-centered. She's lifting up. She's focusing on the Lord. She's articulating who he is, and she's confident in the face of enemies. Of enemies. But there's more, and it, and it goes to an even better level in this prayer that I'm excited to share with you. She rejoices in royal prayer. That's the second half. And when we say royal, maybe this will be a little bit confusing, but think of royal in, in two different meanings it has. Royal means a king, but also royal means exalted. It's a, and so we're going to think of this. She rejoices in royal prayers. She exalts in the king, and she longs for the kingdom. Hannah's prayer, again, it's set in the context of her personal circumstances, but there's larger circumstances going on. 
And this is what we're going to explore now. Um, as we said, Hannah lived in the period of the, let me know, judges, right. The period of the judges. This was a difficult time where people ran, sprinted farther and farther away from God. And they inherited, they had inherited the land from God, but now they were living apart from God. And, and in fact, the last few chapters of the book of Judges, uh, Pastor Stephen taught that, I don't know, probably a year ago now. Those last few chapters are difficult to hear. There's things in them that you don't want to sit down with your children and read. They're difficult. And this expresses how bad it was at that time. And, and the, kind of the summary at the end of the book of Judges is this. There was no king in Israel because everyone just did, so everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. They, they did what they wanted to do. And God's people in that way were living in God's land but not under God's rule. And so there was a certain longing for a king. And the book of Samuel is about the establishment of that king in Israel. Hannah's prayer, set right here at the beginning of the book of Samuel, First and Second Samuel, it sets the stage for what's going to happen in this book to explain the story of this king. But there's a tension in the book of Samuel. I think some of you know about this tension. There's a tension between the, the king that the people desire and the king that God has for them. The people want a king for the wrong reasons. They want a king that will go out before them, make them strong, military strong, militarily strong, that they won't have to uh, worry about their enemies, that there'll be a, a sense of independence. They, they, they're powerful. They can, they can make it. That's the kind of king they wanted. God, on the other hand, uh, purposed long before to give them a king, but a king that matched his character. Many years before Hannah, um, there was a man by the name of Abraham. And Abraham was given a covenant. He's a, a promise a, 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 that, that from him would come many kings. And this is the line by which they waited for these kings to come. A king that would establish a kingdom um, under, under which God's people would um, live under God's rule. So Hannah's prayer is set in this broader context of the, a longing for a king, but these two types of kings that the people, the, the people want and what God has promised. Look at verse 10. This is kind of the, the, the end of verse 10. This is kind of the, the mystery verse that pops up in the end of her prayer. It's at the very end of it. It says, He, that is the Lord, will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. You notice that? Hannah is praying about a king before there is a king and saying that he will have strength and he will um, be strong. His horn will be exalted, the one he's anointed. This is a prophetic prayer. At the, end of her, at the end of what she's saying, it's striking that she does that. She speaks of this king as already being present. Now, I think many of you know the history of Israel this time. So what ends up happening is the, the Israelites do get a king, and their first king's name was Saul. Right, And Saul looked great from the outside. He was tall, he was strong, he fit the bill of what a king would look like to lead Israel to victory, to conquer their enemies, to give them security. But we know he didn't do so. He was actually a a fearful man. When he first was um, trying to be found, he was hiding in the luggage, in the baggage over the side. He he was lacking in faith. He he didn't obey the voice of the Lord. 
He, he went out of order in the things he was for religious practices. He, he, he was self-preserving himself. So Saul did not save the people. And, and in fact, what he ends up dying at the hand of Israel's enemies. This was the people's choice for a king. But most of you also know the rest of the story. God replaces that king with a king by the name of David. He was young. He was small. He didn't necessarily fit the type at first, though it was a good name. David's here somewhere. He, he was an unlikely candidate, but he had a heart after God. He, was, he relied upon God. He was full of faith. He fought enemies much greater. He was confident in the face of the enemies that came before him because he went in the name of the Lord. He ushered Israel into near the pinnacle of their prosperity in biblical history. He was a good king. He was a humble king. He sacrificed his own time and effort and security for the good of his people. But... So, and, and so, but Hannah's prayer in many ways is fulfilled in David, but David didn't take it to the extent that the prayer is. He, he fell short of even what Israel needed. First and second Samuel, if you read the whole thing, um, at the end of this, you'll see that David rises up and then he, he falls. He, he committed sins that if we committed them, you would say these are kind of some of the worst of sins. Murder and adultery. He, he, he had blood on his hands. Though he was a man after God's heart. So David fulfills this prayer, but not fully. God's king and God's kingdom is not like the kingdoms of this world. It's altogether more wonderful. It is exalted. And the prayers of the exalted, they, the, the prayers of the saved, they exalt this king. They hope for the kingdom to come. Hannah's prayer is a royal prayer because it's partially fulfilled in David, but greater fulfilled in the son of David, Jesus Christ. The one who fully gave of himself to save his people. The one whose kingdom is unlike the kingdoms of this world. We, unlike kingdom, unlike kingdom, we, unlike Hannah, we, we know about this king today. We can look at Hannah's prayer and say, wow, this is fulfilled in Jesus. This is the hope of the kingdom. So we're going to go through this prayer one more time. I'm going to highlight how the Jesus gives fulfillment to the things in this prayer. Verse 2. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. The kingdom of God is ruled by this holy, unique king, is Jesus. He's perfect, never sinned. He is the Lord of all. And his king, his kingdom is like a rock. Jesus is the rock. He's, it is eternal, stable, and trustworthy. And then verse 3, it says, Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Under Jesus, the proud are silenced. Remember, people came to him and questioned him, and eventually they couldn't question him anymore. And, and Jesus is, uh, um, he's called the wisdom of God. He, 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 makes, he, he knows all things, and he makes right judgments upon those. And he shows no partiality. People, even his enemies, were amazed that, wow, this man shows no partiality. He is, his balances of justice are equally weighted. 
And then in verse 4 through 5, where we see this, um, we read it before, we see these um, inverse things that happen, that the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Well, in Jesus' kingdom, compare this with Matthew 5, where Jesus tells about his kingdom. He says that those who the least will be the greatest. He says the poor in spirit will possess the kingdom. He, he says that those who hunger are filled. The hunger for righteousness are filled. He says those who mourn are comforted. This, these, these, this prayer is speaking about Jesus. And then in verses 6 through 8, where it tells about how the Lord, has, Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. It, it's speaking about God's rule and authority. And Jesus fulfills that too. The, the, king, of, the king Jesus is all-powerful. He, he's been given, the Bible says, the authority over life and death. And he chooses to raise up one and put down another. He, and, and he says that his people, like, and here actually it tells us here that he brings the lowly and exalts. He makes them to sit in uh, places. Where is that verse at? Uh, eight. He lifts up the needy for in the ash heap and to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. Jesus' people will sit on thrones and they will judge angels. This is the kingdom that Jesus has. And then verse 9, uh, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Jesus assures his own, his people, that they will not be lost. It's assured. And he also guarantees the wicked that they will be judged with weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then in verse 10, we can just say, Jesus is the judge of all the world. One day, all those who now confess Jesus and those who have not will bow the knee before Jesus. We learn that in Philippians chapter 2. Hannah's prayer, it's a royal prayer. It's a kingdom prayer. It's an exalted prayer. She longs for the king and the kingdom. So, again, I'll ask a question. Are your prayers kingdom prayers? I know for myself, I can too easily um, get focused on my, the, the wrong kingdom. The, the rejoicing prayers of the saved have higher purposes. You're thinking beyond just right in front of you. Other worldly priorities. We're thinking beyond the, the politics that so take us in. We're, we're thinking beyond the, the, maybe the, the small health concerns. Not that those things aren't important, but they're not weighted in the same way. I get so focused on my own little kingdom and lose sight of the bigger picture. Hannah's prayer was concerned about her own circumstances, right? This, where this, this is where this began. But it, this prayer here, it predominates about God and his kingdom. The nation of Israel, they misstepped when they looked for a king of their own kingdom. They hoped and prayed for a king, but for the wrong reasons. How are our prayers, are our kingdom prayers? What do we pray? Well, how do we do it? Well, this is what Jesus told us. Jesus said, he said, pray for your daily needs, your the bread. But he said first to pray for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We must first begin with the kingdom. So have you prayed prayers like this? for our church recently and for yourself. Lord, give me and our church increased lowliness and humility. Lord, grant us to give out mercy in the way that we've received mercy. Lord, 
Make us not less dependent, but more dependent upon you. Help us to sacrifice of our own rights and privileges for the sake of others. These are kingdom prayers. These match up with the king. The the kingdom of God is not like the kingdoms of this world. You could pray a prayer, Lord, how might I serve others? How might my time be carved out a little bit better that I can serve the kingdom? These are kingdom prayers. We want our prayers to seek this land that is much greater than here. Prayers that are prayed for the kingdom and make impact for the kingdom, those are the things people are going to talk about at the end of your life. And if they don't, it'll be the things that last in heaven and will be counted as praise to Jesus. You want to, you want help in um, praying kingdom prayers? Well, Ellie made this, Ellie made the suggestion. Pray the prayers of the Bible. Hannah's prayer is a great one. If you need help, just open up Hannah's prayer and begin to read through it and pray that in. Many prayers in the Bible that you can read through, and they help you to pray kingdom prayers. It's a practical way to do so. I am more certain than ever that Christians need to remember that we are not of this world. It is so easy to get wrapped up in the things of this world. Our our battles are not of this world, and we fight battles in a different way than this world fights battles. Our king is Jesus, and he modeled how to live in this world by laying down his life for others. Our, Our kingdom is under the rule of Jesus today, but we seek the kingdom that is above. Praying royal prayers is a corrective that we need in our lives to stay focused on the right kingdom. So let me conclude in this way. I really think that um, listening to the prayers of others is encouraging. I'm looking forward to listening you know, in our next parts of our series. And listening to a mother's prayer today, it, it's, uh, it's been it's instructive. I've enjoyed looking at Hannah's prayer. But there's another prayer that Ben read earlier. And it's the prayer of Mary, um, Jesus' mother. It was in Luke 1. And I want to give you a little homework. I want you to go this week to Luke 1 and read Mary's prayer. I want you to compare it with the prayer of Hannah. They're strikingly similar. And begin to use it to pray as a, as a model to pray about the kingdom, about what the Lord would do in your life to give more humility and growth. But when you look at these two women, they both had an answer to, an answer to prayer, but they, they both, their lives, you know, it, it wasn't like after the end of Hannah's prayer it was done, but she'd just given up her boy. He was now in the temple for time. There's probably some goodness to that, but she would miss him. And also, think of Mary. She got news that she would have the birth of a son, Jesus. But I don't think we can put into words how hard it would have been for her to watch the life of her son from then on. His suffering that he went through. That would have been hard for her as a woman. As a mother. But such is the kingdom of the God. The king and the kingdom, it comes through weakness. Salvation comes through humility of a great king that humbles himself. And if the king is that way, so ought his people to be the same for our lives to reflect that. Uh, I do hope that this mother's prayer has helped you to see the kingdom better, 
understand it better, and want to live for this kingdom. If um, you're here and you're beginning to learn about Jesus and you want to know what it means to follow him, but you're, but you, and you listen to this and you're attracted to this kingdom, it's so different than this world. It's not the strong that make it, it's those who rely upon the, if that, it's attractive to you, I encourage you to learn of Jesus. Ask the friend that, that brought you. Uh, read the Bible with someone. Grow in knowing this Jesus. It's, his, his kingdom is far and above better than the, the kingdom of this world that has to offer. And then surrender yourself to him. It's, and you can, prayer, you can pray the prayer of rejoicing in the Lord's salvation. And for us who are followers of Jesus, we get to rejoice in the Lord's salvation. Thank him in prayer. Thank him that he personally saved you. Take joy in him alone. And I really do encourage you, learn to articulate, to try to grow in speaking out God's character and learning how to describe how good he is. And then, be confident in the face of enemies. Grow and be able to proclaim this great king. His kingdom is what he's given to his people. And so, let us pray that Jesus' kingdom will come. Amen? All right, let me pray, and we'll sing. Lord, we thank you for um, Hannah's prayer. We thank you for the prayers of the Bible. Uh, Lord, we ask um, as a people that we would grow in prayer. We would grow in um, rejoicing in you and the salvation that you've given. We would, we would each day realize how good you are to save us from our sins, each one. We would grow in knowing you. We could talk about you and express how good you are and be confident that you are greater than all others. And Lord, um, may we grow in understanding your kingdom and you as the king. And may our our prayers uh, be about the work of your kingdom. We know that you care about just our, our, you care about our daily bread. You care about our, our sicknesses and you, you care about the day-to-day things, but we want to keep our eyes higher, Lord, higher on your kingdom, focusing those things for time, but focusing on you and your kingdom and your ways more than all else. Help us to reflect um, Hannah's prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.